Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative and lifestyle medicine, review the medical literature, and we review case studies. Today's show topic is creating a successful cardiac wellness program at a university medical center using a whole food, plant-based diet. Our guest today is Dr. Robert Osfeld, MD. He is a cardiologist and he's director of the Cardiac Wellness Program at Montefiore Hospital. He is an associate professor of clinical medicine at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and that is in the Bronx in New York. And he also co-authored an interesting paper, Whole Food, Plant-Based Diet Reversed Angina Without Medications or Procedures in Case Case Reports in Cardiology in 2015. So thanks, Dr. Osfeld, for coming on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. You know, actually, it was one year ago, almost to the day, that I heard the cardiology panel at the Nutrition and um, Cardiovascular Conference talk. It was you and Dr. Kahn and um, Dr. Montgomery. And I tell you, you know, it's like, uh, as a primary care person, you can tell people about, you know, plant-based nutrition and reversing heart disease. Or even when Dr. Esselton speaks, you know, he's not a practicing cardiologist in the trenches. So when I heard... You all speak that just really perked my interest to see how you how you do this in the real world, you know, in, in, in academic centers or in busy cardiology practices. So that's where I come from, from my kind of my desire. And and so tell us a little about your educational background and how you got to where you are. Oh, well, thank you. Um, so I went to medical school at Yale. I did my uh, medical residency, internship and residency at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, my cardiology fellowship um, and prevention year at Brigham and Women's Hospital, and I got a Master's of Science in Epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health. And after that, I came down to Montefiore Medical Center, where I've been ever since. Now, were you just a, I don't want to say just a, but, you know, you're a practicing cardiologist. When did you kind of have an aha moment that, you know, diet might have something to do with heart disease or even reversing it? Well, I've been interested in prevention for a long time, and I had the chance to train with some just really incredible people, but I really didn't learn much about the impact of diet and health along the way. You know, when I finished up all my training, you know, I learned a little bit about the Mediterranean-style diet, um, and when I came down here to start working, you know, if you had mentioned kind of a plant-based diet or something like that, I, I maybe even thought it was a little weird. Like, I really hadn't had any exposure to it. Um, but as time went on, and even, you know, using the Mediterranean-style diet and, of course, medications and procedures, which can be very helpful in, in many situations, patients were maybe getting a little bit better, but they weren't getting a heck of a lot better. And I was kind of getting disillusioned. And then I remember one night, or one, one day I was rounding on a weekend, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it seems like the only people within cardiology who are truly saving lives are the ones who are doing uh, stent angioplasty procedures for giant heart attacks in the middle of the night. And those kinds of uh, events, those giant heart attacks, are often preventable with lifestyle and medication. So, and it was right around after that that I was introduced to the book, The China Study, by doctors uh, Campbell and was really impressed. And that book highlights and explores the impact of a plant-based diet on health in general, from 
all sorts of diseases, including heart disease. And I was really taken by that. And that's where I kind of had my aha moment and the ball started rolling about a plant-based diet after that. And so who were the professionals, aside from the book, that got you going? Because, okay, you kind of understand it. Now what do you do after you read the China study? Or the, the China study, yes. Well, the person who is the biggest influence on me is Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. Uh, he has been an incredible mentor. And Dr. Esselstyn did pioneering work on plant-based diets and people with heart disease stretching back to the early or mid-1980s, you know, way, way ahead of the curve. Um, and, you know, found incredible results in his observational studies uh, in patients with heart disease who embraced a plant-based diet. So um, in my role at the time at Montefiore, I, I ran Cardiology Grand Rounds here for many years. So in that setting, I had the opportunity to invite and meet Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn um, and uh, Dr. Colin Campbell and, and many others. And it was, uh, you know, having the chance to talk with them, read about their work, uh, that got me going. And actually, Dr. Esselstyn was in incredibly gracious, and I stayed over his home in Cleveland um, some years ago and went to his wellness session in Cleveland and took that information back here to Montefiore, where I ultimately started uh, our cardiac wellness program and modeled some of our work after his. Well, that's kind of an interesting journey. Um, I actually went and visited his you know, one-day workshop like you did uh, in October of last year after hearing him several times, interviewing him several times. So in your cardiac wellness program, so you see patients as a regular, I, I say, quote, unquote, regular cardiologist. When, when and how do they decide or do you decide that you want to try and incorporate diet and plant-based nutrition in the cardiac patient? How do they get to you? Sure. Well, patients get to me generally in one of two ways. One way is they somehow hear about our wellness program, whether it's word of mouth or referral from someone or they read about it online, and they come to see me specifically for that. So that's one way. And the other way is that they are some, the patient is somehow plugged into the Montefiore system and they have a general cardiac problem like chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitations, things like that, and they just get randomly assigned to me. Uh, there's many cardiologists here, and maybe they'll see one of my colleagues down the hall, or maybe they'll get assigned to me. So that'll be the two main ways that patients come and see me. And it's a very interesting kind of dichotomy in the sense of where they are in regard to thinking about a plant-based diet. And basically, I, when I see a patient, I bring up the impact of diet and a plant-based diet basically every time uh, I see a patient. And when I see patients who have, you know, sought us out or somehow referred, you know, those are people who typically are much closer to embracing that kind of lifestyle. There's somewhat of a selection bias, if you will. And the ones who kind of just randomly come across my door, they're much less further along the path, and it's a steeper climb to help them begin to adopt this kind of lifestyle. So they, I, I was reading your wellness um, description. So they come to you, you have an initial visit with them? Do you spend 20 minutes? Do you spend an hour with them? Do you spend 50 minutes? And then they go into a, a four-hour four type session as well. So can you tell me how that works? Sure. So the way it works is I see 
a patient, you know, much like, you know, if you go and see uh, your local doc, people come to see me, and I generally have about 40 minutes for a new patient, and we'll do a typical history and physical exam, go through their medical issues, listen to the heart and lungs, and I will weave in plant-based nutrition with basically every patient. And I'll um, talk about how their medical issues are related to diet, how they can improve, how we can uh, make their health better, things along those lines. And I have uh, some resources that I give them. I have some handouts. Um, I have a specific eating plan that I, I give to patients. Um, and then after the visit, I ask them all to, you know, if they have access to it or able to access it, to also watch the documentary film Forks Over Knives, as that can help to uh, reinforce what we talked about during the session. And then I'll invite people to our um, Saturday morning sessions. We don't do them every week. We range from maybe 10 times a year to once a quarter, depending on various scheduling things. But what, what those Saturday morning sessions are is we'll invite the patient to come with a significant other. They're about four hours long, and we teach people how uh, to live a plant-based lifestyle. I'll speak for a while about the health benefits of living this way. Nutritionists will speak more practically about how to live this way. We serve a whole food plant-based lunch, have a variety of handouts, and that's about that. I, uh, I don't charge patients for this session. I want to democratize the information as much as possible. And where I work here in the Bronx at Montefiore, there's a large indigent patient population. So I want to be sure that everyone has access uh, to this kind of information. So I fund these Saturday sessions and some of the other work that we do uh, through donations. So about... How many people, when you first, like you first give them your handouts, um, you know, for an eating plan, is that a one pager? Or is, I mean, because the, the plant based diet essentially, in its essence, is pretty simple. Um, you know, it's, it's four basic food groups. And when you do it, I'll just ask the caveat do you do it to the, to the degree of the Esselton program where there's no nuts, seeds, and oils? Or how do you do that? Yeah, I, I basically um, I don't want perfection to be the enemy of good. And some of my patients have, when I mention a plant-based diet to them, they look at me like I'm from Mars. They've never heard about this before. So to take them to whole food, plant-based, no oil, you know, that's a big step. So some of them, uh, I do ask all patients to go all in. And to me, all in is whole food, plant-based, no oil, I'm slightly more um, uh, open to nuts and avocado than uh, Dr. Esselstyn is, but you know he's obviously an incredible uh, mentor of mine, and I respect what he does immensely. Um, but so I'm slightly more open to that uh, than I think he is. But that's basically a yeah, whole food, plant-based, no oil. Um, I am open to some raw nuts and uh, avocado. But so I don't want perfection to be the enemy of good. And yes, I want all my patients to go 100% all the way in. Um, but uh, you know if they tell me all they can do is 75% or 25%, I mean, I'll take it. It's better than nothing. And then maybe over time, they embrace it more. And I've seen that happen a number of times. Our handouts are a little more than, than one page. My specific eating plan, that's kind of short. That's just a couple of pages. And for the reasons you discussed, it's really not, it's not all that complicated. And along those lines, you know, it's, you know, 
um, we all kind of know what's complicated about it is the behavior change aspect. We all kind of know that <clears throat> eating kale is good for us, but to get ourselves to do it is another thing. So I kind of feel that behavior change is the holy grail of medicine. So the specifics of the diet plan, it's not particularly complicated. Uh, and I have a handout that's just a, a few pages that covers that. And then I have, I have other handouts that give uh, more of a 5,000-foot view of eating this way that's a little bit longer with some recipes and then some other shorter handouts about like how to transition your home and some breakfast ideas and uh, snack ideas, things like that. So after this initial, you do this in your initial office visit before they go to the big, the big four-hour uh, session. So do you follow up between, when would you follow up with a, you know, a, a patient um, after that first initial visit before they do the other big program? They have you know, it doesn't come around. Yeah, so um, it, it's variable, <clears throat> and it depends to some degree on where they are in the spectrum of change. If they've already fully bought in, and a handful of the people who come to see me have, I'll see them much less frequently because they don't need the, the check-ins. But for those who have not, I'll see them much more frequently to the best of my ability. And what I will typically do is I, um, I have a, a monthly weight check where they'll come in and we'll check their weight and sometimes their blood pressure. And I'll use that as a surrogate marker of where they are. Uh, I have an enriched uh, group of patients who are overweight or obese. Uh, so, you know, losing some weight over time would be a helpful thing. And, of course, eating this way, yeah, you know, you can lose weight, but it's good for you for dozens and dozens of reasons. And I just use the weight loss as a simple surrogate marker to follow and the monthly kind of uh, check-ins are helpful, I think, psychologically because there's some degree of accountability, um, and then there's the kind of like rah-rah factor and encouraging them to, you know, continue to embrace the lifestyle. So uh, those are pretty quick in-and-out visits, um, and then I'll see patients more in a follow-up visit, depending maybe every uh, three months to six months or so um, as they're getting started, of course, supplemented by our Saturday morning session. We are talking to Dr. Robert Osfeld. He is a cardiologist and director of the Cardiac Wellness Program at Montefiore Hospital uh, at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. Uh, so do you uh, recommend any dietary supplements at all, uh, B12 or anything like that? I recommend vitamin B12. Um, you know, uh, a plant-based diet is the most nutrient-dense diet I know of. But the one nutrient, of course, that it's missing is B12, and that's because B12 lives in the soil. And now that we wash off our vegetables and fruits so much, we're not getting it. And animals get it because they eat soil or other animals that eat soil. So, um, yeah, I recommend B12. And typically, people have a two- to three-year store of vitamin B12 in their body. Our body recycles it. So... There's no urgency to go out and get it, but I will typically check a baseline level of B12, encourage people to take 500 micrograms of methylcobalamin three times a week, and I'll check their level, and I'll go from there. Um, I've yet to see uh, clinically manifest B12 deficiency. I had one patient who had a low B12 level after adopting a plant-based diet, but that's just because the patient forgot to take their B12 uh, for about a year. So, um, 
but that was had no symptoms and reversed very quickly once they started taking the B12. Uh, so I assume you don't give fish oil. I do not. The okay. only base ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I do not give fish oil. Okay. And how do you explain the difference if somebody walked in and because people are confused about diets and so they say I'm on I want to do the Mediterranean diet and you know I heard it you know take lots of olive oil and eat the Mediterranean diet the fish and the and you know plant food as well and I'll do really well how do you explain the difference to them well I mean diet is a continuum and indeed a Mediterranean style diet is better than you know a typical Western diet or toxic Western diet if you will um, now I find defining the Mediterranean-style diet kind of difficult because there are just so many countries around the Mediterranean and they all have their own way of doing it a little bit. And what I found that happens these days with the Mediterranean-style diet is that people generally eat kind of what they think is a healthy Western diet and pour olive oil on it. Um, now, as I understand it, the Mediterranean-style diet was really originally defined in the island of Crete right after World War II, where um, it was near starvation diet, and people were almost exclusively eating fruits and vegetables with a little bit of fish, and they were also having oil. Uh, but you know, when they were living there, it was subsistence living. They're walking five, nine miles up and down hills each day, and they probably needed the oil to meet their caloric needs. Um, so the version of the plant, the, the Mediterranean-style diet that I think had the most benefit was the one that was almost exclusively plant-based with a little bit of animal product and oil out of caloric need, which is almost exclusively not a need these days. Um, so what I find people are typically doing in regard to a Mediterranean-style diet now is very different than the one that perhaps would be more optimal. Um, furthermore, in regard to the oil, I'm very much happy to have my patients eat a whole food, like eat the olive. That's great. But I prefer they not have the oil because you take a perfectly good olive and you suck out the fat, leaving behind all the fiber and phytonutrients. And basically what you have is a giant pile of fat with almost no nutrient value. Um, it's the most calor oil is the most calorically dense food that we have. And then furthermore, if you look at blood vessel function, if you give someone olive oil, their blood vessel function will acutely worsen. And it can take about six hours or so for the function to recover. And then, of course, it's time for lunch and time for dinner. And uh, on and on it goes at each meal, potentially worsening uh, transiently blood vessel function. So, and, and there was an interesting study where uh, a salad alone improved blood vessel function, but when you added olive oil to the salad, it attenuated the benefit. So, I encourage patients to, to not have oil. Um, and my patients who, this is more anecdotal, who embrace the plant-based diet but also embrace no oil are the ones who have the most ridiculous turnarounds you've seen. You know, coming off meds, avoiding procedures, feeling uh, so much better. Now, a pushback that I will typically get is, well, doc, aren't omega-3 fats important? And yeah, they are. Uh, a plant-based diet, it's not a no-fat diet. There's definitely fat woven into all kinds of the foods in the diet. 
Um, and omega-3s are important. And the way that I encourage patients to, to get them is by having two heaping tablespoons of hemp seeds, chia seeds, or flaxseed meal each day, toss it in your oatmeal, on your salad. And of course, your body has to go through a conversion step to turn the fat that's in those things into the omega-3, the ALA into the omega-3. Um, and I checked omega-3 levels in a number of patients as I initially started our program, and I never came across um, an omega-3 uh, deficiency. It became harder for me to check that over time as, as frankly, um, various insurance companies pushed back, and it would take maybe an hour and a half to get permission to do one single test, so it just became prohibitive for me to function as a physician and get all those tests. So I never saw a deficiency, and I you know, encourage all patients uh, to, to do that. So just staying on the little biochemistry there for a moment, so when you said you assessed omega-3 fats, you, te- you assessed for ALA, alpha-linolenic acid, which is in the flax and the chia in a rich form, but then you also checked for downline metabolites, EPA and DHA as well, and you said, because the, the debate is whether the ALA will get converted downline or not. And so when you did it, exactly you, right. did you check exactly downline? Right. And I, yes, I checked downline omega-3, omega-6, EPA, DHA. And in the handful of patients that I checked on, it was probably, I forget exactly, maybe about 15 or so. So it's, it's anecdotal experience. Um, and they were not taking fish oil supplements. Though that small group did not have uh, a deficiency. Interesting. Um, well, I, I actually so, uh, use, I use a lab that Medicare will pay for that test, and um, and oh, they'll great. do and they'll do all three. And maybe I'll share that with you off the air because it's it would yeah. be a, it's one of the areas that is of great controversy. And I think that if we took people that went on the whole food plant based diet, even the no oil one, and we really assess those, we could show one way or another that yes, the conversion takes place in the most people with you know the flax, et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. So so how do you? Um, so tell us about some of the dramatic things that happen. Somebody buys all in. Do you feel that you can reverse the disease? I like the word reverse instead of, you know, kind of prevent because everybody's got to reverse some disease by the time they get to you. <laughs> so, right, right. Good. Well, I mean, it, do, it does not make you bulletproof, but yes, I believe it can reverse disease. And it's not just what I believe. There is tons of data to support that. Um, I'll get into some of my anecdotal experiences, but there's tons of peer-reviewed uh, academic literature, as you know, spanning multiple types of uh, studies, from basic science test tube studies, me- supporting things mechanistically, to giant observational or epidemiologic studies looking at hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people uh, showing uh, benefits across all sorts of different disease types from cancer to heart disease to diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke. Um, and then uh, um, there are you know, a number of randomized trials as well, some done by Dr. Ornish, Dr. Barnard, showing that in that setting, um, a plant-based diet or nearly exclusively a plant-based diet can uh, reverse disease. So, um, it, there's, it's much more, of course, than what I believe. And, uh, you know, I have no particular vested interest in a plant-based diet. What I, my, my strongest vested interest is in my patients getting better. And if it turns out, you know, that Woody Allen is right 
and we wake up in 20 years and fried chicken and ice cream is, makes us healthier, then, you know, I'll ask my patients to eat fried chicken and ice cream. But, you know, obviously that's kind of ludicrous, but my vested interest is in them getting healthier. And the evidence um, in my review of it, you know, sure, a Mediterranean-style diet is better than a toxic Western diet, but I think from an evidence standpoint that a whole food plant-based diet is unequivocally the way to go if you want to improve your health. Um, and before I dive into kind of a, you know, maybe a couple of anecdotes here of our patients, um, before getting started, there are a couple of situations that I'm, you know, particularly careful of when people have, when they're about to start a plant-based diet. One situation is when, if they're on the blood thinner Coumadin, and the other situa situation is if they're on insulin. Now, in regard to Coumadin, when you eat green leaf, Coumadin blocks vitamin K, and vitamin K helps our blood get thicker and more likely to clot, and there are some situations where we want it thinner, and, vitamin K and Coumadin can do that by blocking vitamin K. But when you eat a lot of green leafy vegetables, it gives you more vitamin K, and it makes the Coumadin not work as well. Um, so you, know, you can absolutely eat green leafy vegetables and take Coumadin, but you need to, you know, keep your green leafy vegetable levels at this similar amount each day, and you may have to increase the amount of milligrams of Coumadin you get so you can get the benefits of both the Coumadin and the green leafy vegetables. So I encourage patients to not change their diet until their whole Coumadin team is on board because it's going to require close monitoring um, and, uh, you know, uh, so until they get the dose just right. So that you need to be very careful with and would definitely talk with your doctor about before making any changes. Also, when it, insulin is another situation because, you know, it, when people adopt this, their insulin require, requirements may fall because we're making them really healthy. But if they take the same amount of insulin, we may push their blood sugar down so much that that may actually be unhealthy for them. So we may be doing harm when we were initially hoping to do good. So I just make sure the patients know the symptoms and treatment of low blood sugar and that they're actively engaged in monitoring because they may need to lower their insulin dose. Well, so those are two situations where I'm particularly careful. Well, let me ask you then that are very similar. Number one is um, hypertensive medicines then would come under the same kind of pay attention because if you, you know, drop 15, 20 pounds really fast on a whole food plant-based diet, you might get hypotensive as well. Would that be You're one, that's 100% correct. Um, and actually, usually it's the blood pressure pills are the ones that we're able to reduce the dose of or stop altogether first. And so, and one of the very first signs of that is that someone starts to get lightheaded. And that's because we've been getting their, we made their blood pressure so much lower because we're improving the health of their blood vessels and body by eating this way that their need for the blood pressure lowering pills goes away. So we talk about that, and one of the, you know, the initial signs of that is that they start to become lightheaded. How about statins, just while we're on the same topic? You know, if you do this very strictly, you, you'll have a, I mean, sometimes I'll do it just as an educational thing. I'll repeat somebody's lipids in two weeks if they're really going to go on this really strictly, just to show them how dramatically you can drop your cholesterol 50, 60, 70 points in, in a couple of weeks. So are most of your patients weaned off statins, or are you use combination of statins, or how do you feel about statins in general? 
Yeah, so I mean, I've seen the same sort of things you, you have when patients embrace this, their cholesterol levels plummet. Um, and, you know, if you read the internet, you know, statins are like the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. It's, it's a little extreme. And to be perfectly frank, you know, they've been very extremely well studied, better studied than aspirin. Um, and so the patient population that I typically see uh, already has a diagnosis of coronary artery disease or cholesterol blockages in their heart. And I look at prevention as an all-of-the-above thing. You want to belt and suspender it. Now, lifestyle is the cornerstone of doing that, but also medications can be helpful too. Uh, so for my, you know, my patients who already have uh, coronary artery disease or who may have had a heart attack, yes, I unequivocally want them to be whole food, plant-based, no oil. But in, in addition to that, I usually want them to continue their statin as well. And we'll often lower the dose uh, down to the lowest dose because their cholesterol has fallen so much. But the, and particularly in those situations with people who have heart disease, the statins are incredibly effective medications and work very well. So I usually continue the statin, albeit at a lower dose. What is a, a too low a cholesterol for you? Um, I've yet to find it. It's kind of like limbo, you know, how low can you go? Um, there, you know, a number of docs, I'm just sort of speaking from anecdotal conversations, they start to get nervous when they see LDL cholesterol is less than 50 or 60. Um, but there are studies um, looking, I think it was the uh, uh, PROVE-IT study, uh, which is a study in patients after heart attack who were put on uh, a number of, do a couple of doses of statins, and those in the highest dose statin group got their LDL bad cholesterol level into the 40s. And they were not having side effects related to that. In fact, the benefits of the statin continued to accrue even in the group with the lowest LDL levels. And there have been studies of, of uh, a new cholesterol-lowering medication that you inject called uh, the PCSK9 inhibitors, and I think they've recorded, which lowers LDL cholesterol immensely, um, and they've recorded, I think, LDL cholesterols in the 20s and 30s, and to my knowledge, have not reported any kind of side effect related to that. So, you know, I've yet to find a level that's too low. I think when we're born, our LDL levels are in the 30s, and we munch our way up to much higher. So I guess if somebody was less than 30, I'd start to get concerned, although that would just be, I wouldn't be able to base it on anything other than my own opinion. Um, so, but it's uncommon for my patients to get quite that low. Typically with um, a, a plant-based diet, they'll get their LDLs maybe to 60 or 70, and if they happen to be on statin as well, they may um, get into the 40s. So uh, I haven't encountered really people with LDLs less than 30, but I guess that would be or I would start to get um, concerned. And you haven't observed much side effects, in your opinion, from the statins, myalgias, fatigue, mental cognitive? No, there, there, definitely are, there definitely are side effects on statins. Now, in the appropriate patient, the benefits far, far outweigh the risks. Um, and But I have seen side effects. I do have patients who have myalgias and will you know, adjust the dose, change the statin, maybe try it a few times a week as opposed to every day. Um, now, remember, we're doing this 
um, in the milieu of the cornerstone of therapy being a plant-based diet, being lifestyle. So this is added on to that. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely, the side effect that I would most commonly see, albeit not very commonly, are the myalgias. Uh, one thing that comes up a lot is, well, gosh, it's going to cause diabetes. Um, well, my understanding of that data is that the patients who developed diabetes were those who were already pre-diabetic. And if you look exclusively at that group, those who were given statins actually wound up doing better overall from a cardiovascular standpoint. Um, so in the appropriate patient, uh, I uh, believe that in addition to a plant-based diet, a statin can be very helpful. And look, you know, some patients don't want to take it, and that's cool. I mean, the patient's the boss, whatever they, whatever they want to do, and I just give them, you know, what my, um, my opinion is. So what, uh, what type of markers do you do? I mean, obviously symptoms improve, angina goes away, energy improves, chest pain goes away, et cetera. But do you follow any markers like, uh, you know, LP little a or, or uh, LPA2, excuse me, or myeloperoxidase or CRPs, or do you just do a simple lipid profile and blood sugar? I keep it simple. Um, I, I follow weight, blood pressure, lipids, uh, sugar levels. That's really about it. Um, you know, there'll be isolated situations where I may do something a little bit more fancy, if you will, but for the most part, I don't find that that really will change what I would do. What I'm going to do is want them to eat a plant-based diet and, you know, may or may not have them on a statin or blood pressure pills, things like that. So I find that those uh, fancier tests, albeit are interesting academically, don't really change my management of the patient. So I, I see it as um, kind of an undue uh, cost and, uh, you know, with not much uh, clinical uh, bearing. If, do you see benefit in, well, do you see benefit in, in peripheral vascular disease and cerebrovascular disease as well as heart disease that's almost as dramatic? Yes, all of the above. And I mean, you could go from head to toe with all kinds of diseases, as you know, um, where uh, patients can have improvements, whether it be blood vessel disease like cerebrovascular disease, like heart disease, like peripheral vascular disease, but also cancer, Alzheimer's, um, depression, cognitive function, uh, skin complexion, periodontal disease, heartburn, laryngeal cancer, uh, lung cancer, asthma, other lung diseases, breast cancer, um, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, um, constipation, colon cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, prostate cancer, sexual function in men and women, lower back pain, athletic performance. Athletic performance is improved on a plant-based diet. Uh, so there's just a litany of things that can be improved or, or are associated with being improved um, on a plant-based diet, and but absolutely in regard to cerebrovascular disease, peripheral vascular disease, and heart disease, you know, uh, Dr. Esselstyn had a nice um, kind of case series of of that published in the Journal of Family Practice. I think maybe it was two years ago now, um, and I've certainly, in my you know anecdotal clinical experience, seen uh, improvements in those arenas. So, how or when 
after you, you know, you, you come and you talk to the patient and you impart your belief in this approach and they're maybe skeptical or so, but they, they buy in, when do they, how quickly do they start to feel better so the motivation is they feel better, you know, that you don't have to convince them over and over again until, you know, how, what happens to that patient? Yeah, I mean, it, so it depends on how much they embrace the diet. For those who, you know, are like 90% or more, 95% or more, easily within two weeks, usually a week. And the kinds of things that they'll see, it depends on how sick they are at baseline. If they feel like perfectly well at baseline, it's a little harder to notice the benefits. But they, you know, the patients that I see typically have some disease. The clothes, the, the thing that we'll, they'll typically see first is that clothes will fit more loosely. Um, you know, they'll have lost a little bit of weight. They'll feel a little bit more energy. And if they have uh, some kind of overt problem, particularly the ones that I'll see will be typically angina, which is chest pain, of course, from cholesterol blockages in the blood vessels that feed the heart with blood, they will begin to see some kind of change in that. That'll get a little bit better. So the first thing is usually is the clothes fit a little bit more loosely and they feel like they have a little bit more energy. And that's can be within one to two weeks for people who really adopt the lifestyle. What do your colleagues think of what you do? I mean, obviously, if they're interventional cardiologists and from your worldview, you know that if people really embrace this, you wouldn't be doing a whole lot of interventional cardiology because <laughs> you put them out of business. So what do your colleagues think? Well, my colleagues here at Montefiore have been incredibly receptive to it. It's really been remarkable. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not like 100%. Some of them, you know, are less open to it. Uh, but it's just been incredible. My chief was 100% behind me when I decided to, or when I asked to start this program. The senior leadership here have been incredibly supportive, you know, all the way to the top of the hospital system have been incredibly supportive um, of our program. Um, and. Uh, you know, for a couple of related examples, I, I did a small case series with um, one of our cardiac surgeons here in post-heart transplant patients. So I got a chance to work with the heart surgeons on this diet. Now, they didn't refer them to me before surgery, for them, <laughs> but it was at least after surgery. So they were open to that degree, which is phenomenal. And we actually just last week here at Montefiore have piloted plant-based meals for inpatients. So you can order now in our hospital system a plant-based meal. And uh, we're, still, we're still in the pilot phase right now, but with that will come some, uh, uh, an educational handout that'll talk about how to live this way and a little bit about why it's good. And they'll get a little bit of education from a nutritionist. And we should very soon have additional education material on the inpatient TVs, but that's not fully on board yet. Um, so, I mean, I think that speaks to how openly the system has been, or how open the system has been to this, because they've permitted me, and I've had the chance to work very closely with Food Services, who's been an incredible partner in nutrition here, um, where, uh, you know, we've we created the menu, and we put it on the it's orderable through our order system, and the hospital has let us do it. Uh, so I think that really speaks to uh, how widely people are open to um, this kind of, of lifestyle here. And I'm assuming they're they're not uh, plant-based meals coated in olive oil? <laughs> 
They're not. Um, and I, I do have to go by the uh, <clears throat> mantra of I don't want perfection to be the enemy of good. So some of them do have a little bit of oil. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the meals do have a little bit of oil. Uh, but, you know, like it's, it's worlds better than it was. Um, and, but, you know, there, this can be rolled out here within like five different hospitals, each with different cooking methods um, and different ways of pre preparing and delivering food. And uh, so it, it's a, not a super easy process. So um, I, I didn't want to get in the make perfection be the enemy of good. It is fully plant-based, but sometimes there is a little bit of oil, and some of that's out of necessity for processing right. uh, issues. I was just teasing somewhat. Um, so, well, you know, eating is the biggest part. People can understand it, and then they go, okay, now where do I go? So uh, that's fabulous. You do it in the hospital. So what does uh, a Dr. Osfeld eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on a typical busy cardiology working day? Right. Well, uh, breakfast is typically a giant bowl of oatmeal that, and I will toss in um, fruits. I'll toss in a bunch of flaxseed meal. I'll toss in a number of spices. I encourage my patients to have a lot of spices because they're so antioxidant rich. And I'll toss in cinnamon, but I also toss in cloves and turmeric. And to be honest, I'm not like a huge fan of the taste of them, but they're so, the taste is so dwarfed by everything else that's in there. So I, I fool myself to think, well, I'm just getting the benefits of it and not really the taste of it. <laughs> um, and so then I'll put in a, uh, I'll use um, oat milk, and sometimes I'll put in like a tablespoon of maple syrup uh, into it, and I mix it up a giant bowl of, um, of oatmeal for breakfast and lunch there is a uh, the, oh my gosh our, our hospital system here has just been amazing our, our cafeteria they have vegan options right when you walk in now some of them have oil and stuff but it's wow it's great that they even have that they have a smoothie bar they have brown rice vegan sushi uh, they have a nice big salad bar so sometimes they'll go there but usually what I do is I get a um, oh and by the way the meals that we are piloting on the floor for our inpatients were tested in the cafeteria for you know the staff and other people coming through, and they were selling out. So we're very excited about that. Um, so, uh, but what I'll typically do is there's a, you don't have to tell the cafeteria here this, but there's a make your own salad place right across the street from Montefiore, and I'll go there and I'll have two big spinach salads. Uh, with uh, with no dressing and with avocado um, to serve kind of as my dressing. So I'll eat that typically for lunch. And then for dinner, my um, girlfriend, who is plant-based, uh, loves, loves to cook. So I'll help. Like if you put it into a percentage standpoint, it's about 98% her, 2% me, <laughs> and that 2% is largely cheering her on. But So she loves, loves to cook. Uh, and so um, she'll make all sorts of uh, different things from a, from a stew to avocado toast to all kinds of interesting pastas. She found a, a chickpea pasta that will have a no oil marinara sauce and tons of steamed vegetables on. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that uh, for, for dinner. And the, the Esselstyn book, uh, both the cookbook and at the end of his book, uh, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, has a lot of really good uh, recipes. 
Well, I think we covered a lot of ground. You know, uh, I, 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 is there anything else you'd like to say on your two cents on heart? I mean, assuming you think, let me ask you the question, like I asked Dr. Williams, you know, is heart disease a foodborne illness and could we eradicate it? Uh, I believe almost exclusive. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it is largely a foodborne illness. And if we all adopted a plant-based diet, we would put almost all cardiologists and cardiac surgeons out of business. Um, you know, there would certainly still be cases. There are other things that contribute, of course, to heart disease. But diet plays such a huge role in this that if people adopted a plant-based diet, we would likely um, eliminate, I don't know, my guess is at least 80%, if not more. Uh, of uh, of heart disease, um, so yeah, I think it's almost exclusively a uh, a lifestyle driven mostly by diet disease. How would you uh, what would you, how would you talk to a cardiology you know colleague that um, you know is running a busy practice you know putting people on meds doing interventions? How do you how would you share with him you know that this is a good thing? Yeah, um, so I, I would, you know, my, my colleagues who are incredibly brilliant and incredibly busy, you know, you can have a little conversation in the hallway about it. Um, you can hand them an article. You know, um, I'll often ask people to watch Forks Over Knives. Maybe I'll, I'll give them one of Dr. Ornish's randomized trials. I make all of our cardiology fellows, residents who round with me, medical students who round with me, read a very short editorial by Dr. Esselstyn in the, I believe it was the American Journal of Cardiology a number of years ago about like is coronary artery disease the radical mastectomy of the 21st century. Um, uh, so I think uh, you know a very brief peer-reviewed article could be quite helpful um, in that regard, helping people be more open-minded to it. And if you're a patient and you're interested in this and your doc is kind of, um, you know, may not know about it because we're not really taught about it or even a little averse to it, I would, I, th you're, I think you as the patient are on the right path. And every situation is different, so I would need you to, of course, uh, defer to you and your doc. But I think you're on the right path. And the way I would handle it is kind of empower the physician to make it seem like the physician is the one making the decision about you going on the plant-based diet. And I would say something to the effect of, you know, gosh, I've heard a lot about, you know, lifestyle and how that impacts health and uh, about a plant-based diet. And I'm really interested to know what you think about it and if you think it would be helpful for me. And I saw this really interesting editorial, and you could give them the Esselstyn one, which is like two pages. It's really short so they may even have time to look at it. Um, and if they poo-poo it out of hand, that's really not a good academic way to be. Um, and that would be, you know, that, that no, no physician should be like that. They may not have time that second to look at it, but if they poo-poo it out of hand, that's, um, you know, not someone who's being as thoughtful as, as they should be. But I would try to make it seem like, you know, you're empowering the physician to help make the decision for you. Um, and, for, and in regard to physicians out there, I mean, we should obviously be open-minded and of all sorts of potential options there are to help our, help our patients and think about it critically. And look, just because we didn't learn about it much in medical school doesn't mean it's not a good option. And I would keep an open mind to it. I think you will be pleasantly surprised about the incredible breadth and depth of benefits that living this way uh, provides. And, you know, read an article or two and, and then make up your own mind. Well, Dr. Osfeld, I've taken 
way more time than I thought I should. <laughs> I said I would for you, but I thank you so much for just being able to explain things. Uh, it'll be I'll post this on our website, my website, stayinghealthytoday.com. It'll also be up in iTunes. And someday I'm going to come out and visit. I would love to uh, observe how you do that that weekend workshop. So I'm going to email you and see when the next one is. And if you don't mind, I'd love to sneak out and just hang out and watch. Well, that would be wonderful. Love to get a chance to meet you and see you at one of our sessions. Okay. And I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to this edition of the Staying Healthy Today show. Go to stayinghealthytoday.com, sign up for my health letter, and I'll talk to you soon, and you have a fabulous day.